0: Sal Berry, and Tim Parrish. This is the Puck Junk Podcast.
1: Hello and welcome to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. I'm Sal Berry, along with me is Tim Parrish, and today we are going to continue our multi-part series looking back at the 1990-91 hockey season of collecting hockey cards. As you all probably remember from the last episode, Uh, We mentioned that that was the year that hockey cards exploded. First, you only had two companies making cards, and then this year you had three more companies making cards for a total of seven sets that year. So it was a pretty big year for sets. And uh, we're going to talk today about the 90, 91, Tops, and Opeachy sets. So, Tim, what do you remember about these sets?
0: Well, other than picking up a few here and there on previous years, this was the first year that I was like full bore into hockey, and so tops was a uh, very large portion of my accumulation that that year amongst some of the others, but tops was a big one. You couldn't really find Opeachy where I was opechy Premier you eventually could find, but not regular opeachy uh so tops was pretty much pretty much it at that point
1: so what made um the top set significant that year in 1991 a couple of things first uh the set doubled in size so the prior couple of years like uh, 87 88 88 89 89 90 the top set was 198 cards this year it doubled to 396 cards which around that time that was what they were giving their football sets i remember the football the top football sets were 396 cards, and then in 1990, the hockey set was 396 cards. Opeachy on the other hand, so uh, their set the prior year was 330 cards, and then it went up to 528 cards. So they were both pretty big sets, and until Pro Set Series 2 and um, the Upper Deck High Number Series came out, Opeachy was the biggest set at 528 cards, up to I that liked... point,
0: that was their biggest set ever, Wasn't it?
1: Yes. Yeah. That yeah. was they their biggest ever, set
0: ever. I was gonna say, even though they always or usually always had more than tops did, they was it was never that
1: many. No. And so that's kind of interesting because like Opeachy, I mean you remember for like there was that 10-year run from like the mid-70s to the mid-80s when they their sets were 396 cards. And then and then they started cutting that back to 264 cards. And in an 8990, for some reason, they did 330 cards, which is just a really weird amount of cards to do. But yeah, I get it. They're figuring like this many per sheet, and you know, you can do like multiples of 132 or multiples of 66. Actually, that's something that I liked about the 9091 top set was that uh, at 396 cards, you had three sheets that printed pretty evenly. If you've tried to complete. The sets in the prior years, there were single prints and double prints. And even in some years, like 84, 85 and 85, 86, they were ridiculous where you had some cards that were double printed and some cards that were single printed. And certain cards are really hard to come by or harder to come by. Not impossible, but I liked it when it was an even split, you know, when the collation is pretty good. And it's definitely frustrating when like, you know, '80. 889 tops. say, for instance, Mario Lemieux is a double print. Brett Hull is a double print. Right. That's why their tops cards are sort of darn easy to get that year.
0: Right.
1: Same with OPC though. 528 cards, so that that splits up to four sheets of 132. I guess what I'm saying here is when you bought a pack, you had a pretty even shot of getting any of the cards. I mean, I remember trying to complete an 87-88 set pack by pack, and I kept getting the same guys over and over, and that's because you know the double prints
0: right yeah the single versus double printing that's always a a pain from a set building standpoint because even if you well i mean being younger at the time you weren't really buying a box but you figure over time the number of packs that you bought you probably bought three or four boxes you know over and over again over time and just the sheer amount of doubles there's just piles and piles and piles.
1: Yeah. Like, so like 88, 89 tops, I bought that as a full set. Eighty-nine, ninety tops, I went to the the card shop and I bought a full box and I got a set that way because you buy a full box, you're going to, you're going to get a set of 198 cards. Eighty-seven, eighty-eight. my card shop was selling them for like a dollar a pack, then a dollar 25, then a dollar 50. So, I mean, I really had to think, do I want to buy a pack of these and try to, you know, try to finish that set? And it, it, yeah, if I had the money to buy a box, I mean, a box probably would have cost me like $40, 45 at the time. And I didn't have that kind of money in 1989 or 1990 to try to finish an 87 set. But yeah, you're absolutely right. So just to give a little bit of just the, the pricing on these, because uh, I like to throw this out because it's always fun just to think back to what cards cost. So a pack of tops was 50 cents for 14 cards, one glossy insert, and one stick of gum. There were also cello packs that were $0.99 for 31 cards and one glossy insert and no gum. There was a total of 396 cards to collect, plus 21 team scoring leaders and then also 16 box bottom cards. On the flip side, with OPC, a pack of cards was $0.45 for seven cards and then one Red Army insert, more on those later and one stick of gum and then um also there were 528 cards as as we mentioned before and 22 red army inserts and then also 16 box bottom cards and oh by, by the way really quick if you did buy a box of tops back in 1991 the 36 packs would yield you 504 cards so you probably were going to build a set out of that out of 396 cards and 21 inserts you'd get Five hundred and four cards and thirty six inserts, so your odds were pretty good at building a set. And I do believe I did put together a few sets, hand collated a few sets. I remember putting it in pages and watching hockey, so I, I know I did build that set. The Opiechi, on the other hand, though, because you only got seven cards per pack, there were thirty six packs per box, but you'd only get two hundred and fifty two cards and then thirty six inserts. So while you could build the insert set. From a box of OPC, you did not get enough cards. You'd have to buy two boxes of cards to try to build that set. Now, of course, both Tops and OPC came out with factory sets. That was the first year the Tops had come out with a hockey factory set, whereas OPC, I know they were making factory sets as far back as the 87-88 season. So just a little bit of uh, statistical data for those of you who like to reminisce about Spending 40 or 50 cents on a pack of cards and getting a whole mess of them.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, what did you say the pack price was on these?
1: So, tops were 50, uh, 50 cents. O- OPG were 45 cents. Now, that's if you bought them in the store in Canada. Now, I do remember buying OPG cards in card shops in Chicago during the ninety ninety one season. And I don't remember what they were selling them for. They might have been a dollar a pack, instead of forty-five cents a pack. But they were pretty affordable. So I actually did manage to amass a quite a few Opichi cards in the '90s. Because once you have the top set, you probably wanted to collect something else. So I would try to build the OPC set. But uh, it was a tough set to put together. And actually, I don't think I ever completed it back in the day. I think what I ended up doing was just opening a factory set like in the early two thousands. I think I had a I had a few factory sets that I had purchased at a card show and I think I just opened it just just because I was just like, Well, I want this set and I wanna put it in pages and look at it and it's been ten years and it's worthless now, so eh, I might as well.
0: Yeah, like I said, I, I don't remember I don't remember seeing OPG anywhere. Where I would no, get cards at all. Have, not even not even in the shops. So I don't think the, the dealers even carried them where I was.
1: You know, and now that I think about it, this dealer might have had somebody who was able to hook him up. Because now that I think hard about it, I think I only bought them. I might have bought a box through mail order. Or I might have bought packs or a box at a show. Uh, I do remember this one, there was this one card shop I used to go to. This is an interesting little story. I actually have this posted uh, on the Puck Junk blog if you want to read about it. There was a um, hat store. And in the basement of the hat store, there was this card shop called the Lower Deck. Makes sense. Yeah, exactly, right? In the basement of the hat store, there's a trading card shop. But those of you who remember card collecting in the 90s, Card shops would just show up in the most random, weird places because it became such a hot and popular thing. In fact, at 15 years old, I was trying to figure out if I could somehow rent a little space from my uncle's flood control business. The first room had like a nice big window and I just thought, oh, this would be a perfect place if I could just set up a few display cases here. And you just kind of needed to just have enough room for a few display cases and a shelf to put like some boxes of cards behind you. So yes, this hat store had a card shop in the basement. And I remember kids in school talking about it. And so when I found it, I went there and the guy had Opeachy cards. He had like a a factory set that he was breaking up for singles. And I remember like picking out some of the cards that I really wanted out of that. And then he had like packs. And I remember buying packs of Opeachy. That was like my big score no pun intended, was finding Opeachy cards in Chicago in
0: 1990. Yeah. I, like I said, I I certainly didn't, that's for sure. I didn't get the Opeechee stuff until later, when it was readily available everywhere.
1: So what was kind of funny about the top set? Now, I always like the Opeachy sets better because they're printed on better stock, the pictures look brighter, the backs are easier to read. I feel like ninety ninety one was the year the Tops made a half-hearted effort. And they were like, hey, we make hockey cards, too. What's that, Tops? Speak up. You're in the back of the room. We can't hear you. Well, we also make hockey cards. What's that, top? Speak up. I can't hear you over upper deck and pro set and score because... They're so much louder and better than you. And, you know, it's like, oh, 396 cards. That's cute. You know, when you compare that to Upper Deck putting out 400 cards, set putting out 405 cards, Score putting out 440 cards, plus five Eric Lindros bonus cards in their factory set, right? That's just counting Series 1, not updates or anything. So 396, it was like they were trying to assert themselves, but they didn't, like, make their cards better. They were just still doing the same old crummy printing practices. I mean Upper Deck had been out for like a full year, you know, they they with their baseball 89 and 1990 and Tops wasn't even trying, you know, with their hockey in like 1991. I mean, I think that the two things that they did differently that year was they doubled their set size and then they um they included 21 top prospects cards. For tops, it was a big deal because tops would only really put you on a hockey card if you had established yourself. Like, you know, if you had a really good rookie season, you would be in the set the next year. If you were a draft pick with no games, they wouldn't put you in the set. Guys like Rick Tockett needed to play two or three seasons before they appeared on a tops card. I mean, Mark Messier didn't appear on any tops cards until 84, 85. He had an all star card. And in like 86, 87, He's in that set, but like, you know, it's just funny, you know, they made like cards of like Jimmy Waite of the Blackhawks, and uh, probably the one that was really smart was they made a card of Curtis Joseph before Curtis Joseph became a big player, an all-star player, but you know what, everybody else made a card of Curtis Joseph that year as well, so big deal.
0: Well, if you look at the overall checklist of tops, yeah, they boosted their total number of cards to three almost four hundred, but I mean look at how many rookies are actually in there. It's about it's almost like it's like twenty I don't know what that number would be. Twenty-three percent, twenty-four percent of the set. I think there's ninety-one rookies in there.
1: Okay, but hold on. They're not rookies though. They're just rookie cards, meaning that
0: Yeah, I mean, to your point, yeah, guys might have played a while because they didn't have a card previously
1: right You put somebody like dave reed in there who didn't have a card for like 10 years and then now he's on okay now he's has cards in all the set okay you know i mean sure you have jeremy roenick and 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 jim Harivnak. i'm just looking at the um the you know if, if we're talking set,
0: about the definition of a rookie card yes there's there's over 90. i think there's 91. 91. Like two, something like that 91
1: yeah. and then opici has 169 I believe. Yeah. but that we'll talk about that set that that set had a really unique circumstance but yeah you're right it it does so, so tops has so uh, almost a third about,
0: of the set is a are rookie cards
1: yeah i.e guys who just never had cards before you know so okay great i mean they weren't rookies or even second year players. They were just guys who played a long ass time who finally got a card because Top said, you know what? We're not going to just keep including the same, you know, 200 guys over and over.
0: But that's the thing. And you a- have to you expand your checklist to almost double. You know, you got almost 400 cards. Okay. Well, there weren't 700 guys in the league then, right? Because there weren't as many teams. So, right. You're looking at. 500, maybe. I was going to say. So, Ninety, ninety-one. 91, there would have been one, two, three, four, five, six, six, seven less teams
1: than there are now. 21 Eight. versus
0: 31. Oh, 10 less teams then. Yeah. Yeah. So, 10 less teams. So, I mean, yeah. So, it's like you went from, okay, I'm going to select and choose the best 100 200 guys to, I'm going to have to include a checklist of almost every rostered player there is. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, look at Opichi and the number of Opichi cards there are. I mean, you're basically including everyone.
1: Yeah, so what Opichi did was kind of interesting. Actually, let me just say this about the top set really quick. This was the first year that they didn't do the stickers. Well, because they were doing, like, the stickers, what, 86, 87, 87, 88, 88, 89, 89, 90. They did the um, the All-Star stickers. Uh, actually, they did them in 85, 86 as well. 85, 86, 86, 87, 87, So for five years, they did the All-Star helmet stickers where you had, like, the first 12 were, like, first-team All-Star, second-team All-Star. And then, like, the last 21 were team logos and then like numbers and like pucks and
0: the the helmet numbers
1: yeah and going into the the whole numerology thing because tops does their 132 card sheets right so when you have 12 all stars and 21 teams that's 33 you could fit 33 stickers on a 132 card sheet four times so you get a nice even distribution of the stickers you know what i mean that's just kind of how they did things you know what i mean they just it always right. seems to work that way i mean you look at any old set it was like 66 cards or 132 cards or 198 cards and you'd have like double prints or whatever but i mean there's exceptions to that and and i don't know how they would have done something a little like weird or like with the red army inserts in opg you had 22 okay whatever i don't know how they well 22 44 66 yeah okay 66 yeah. 132 there you go
0: Yeah, it's always a number divisible by the number that can fit on the sheet so
1: right or or spread across between two sheets evenly for like inserts but they did team scoring leader cards that year tops did i didn't like that i liked the stickers i understand why they did the team scoring leaders it was because they were trying to make the set a little bit more like football and with football they would do the thousand yard club cards that were like glossy right And so that's kind of what they were trying to go for. And I guess it's okay. I would have liked it if they made the team scoring leaders just like in the set itself and then kept the helmet stickers. But I don't know. I mean...
0: Yeah, but see, if they wouldn't have made this set, we today would not have the little fire emoji that people use in text.
1: Yeah, that's true. Because
0: Topps invented it with the eighty nine ninety team scoring leaders from this ninety ninety one top set.
1: Yeah. That little flame logo in the corner.
0: Yep. The that, little that, the
1: little lick of flame flying off of the top of it that, there.
0: That's the flame emoji. It so is. They were ahead of their time by creating emojis before that was even a word.
1: Yeah. Wow. I mean what at that, that. eighty nine ninety and then team scoring leaders is in like script font. Right. Wow, it's like they weren't—they were—it's like they weren't even trying to be bad, and they were like just how.
0: The thing with it is, I understand what they were trying to do, but because it's all over the place, it detracts from it. So you mm-hmm. got one font with the name, you got another font with the like position or the team, you got the Tops logo in the corner, then they use two different fonts in the little Fire logo on the yep. side. It's just like it's all over the place. There's no consistency to it. Now they kept the picture—you know, it's mostly photo. So you do get a, a decent action shot of the player, mm-hmm. but these also look almost identical to the Hat Trick Heroes from Bowman. Yeah. So it's like you want to separate yourself out from the pack, and that—that's not how you do it.
1: See, they could have done the uh, like the team cards. So the other thing that Topps did this year, and this of course carried over to Opichi, because the first three hundred and ninety-six cards you know, as you know, are identical from set to set. But on the team cards, they basically did their um, final standings, their power play records, and their shorthanded records on the backs of the cards. And it's like, okay, that's fine and good, I guess. I I never, like, I think a record is cool. Like, you know, they had this many wins, this many losses, this many ties. That's fine. But, like, when I see a team card like this, I kind of want it to be, like, the scoring leader. Like, I think back to, like, 81-82 when they had, like, the picture of the scoring leader on it. And then they, like, listed out who had the most goals, the most assists, the most points, the most pins, right? That's a n- nice team card. Or you have, like, a logo on the front. And that's cool, too. But I guess the scoring leaders are okay. And I guess maybe the stickers had kind of—they couldn't really do the stickers now that I think about it. Because the top set was so big— that they had to find other things to include into the set. And instead of just adding in more players like Opeachy did, they did the 21-team cards, and then they also did um, all-star cards, first-team all-star, second-team all-star. So you couldn't really make all-star stickers if you were already doing first-team all-star, second-team all-star in the set itself. Makes sense. I get it. You know, you can't, like, do the same thing. Now, Opeachy, they really... Put themselves out there with the set because not only did they include more players but they did something that was really cool for the time within the set itself they had cards of players from the soviet wings and dynamo riga and then in the inserts that were one per pack were players from the central red army team so over the past couple of years various russian teams would play NHL teams in what uh they called the a super series. And those were teams that had visited uh the, earlier that year, like around like around it was always around like New Year's of 89-90. I mean, I remember one year going on New Year's Day to watch the Blackhawks play, I want to say it was the Red Army, and they lost pretty handily, and everybody was making fun of Valerie Zelopukin because Valerie's a girl's name. I remember some guy yelling that in the stands. Keep it classy, Chicago. They'll
0: like, make fun of Valerie, not his last name.
1: Yeah, I know. Zellepukin is way more... I make way, make way more fun of, of that name than uh, Valery. actually would be the... Valeri would be the, the proper yeah. pronunciation, I believe. But uh, anywho, that at the time, that was cool. I mean, okay, so yeah, they were padding out their set a bit. And they probably said, oh, crap, we really don't have 528 players and even if we do an all-star card of Gretzky. And then they also did award-winner cards, which I thought were nice. It was nice to see those in the 1991 Opeachy set. I wish they were in the top set as well, but whatevs. They did Russian cards, and then they did Russian insert cards. And that was kind of neat. Most of us didn't know who any of these players were because, you know, maybe they'd play, one of the teams would play your team once. And unless you had that roster or caught that game on TV and... It was all guys you didn't know, but it was just kind of neat. So, yeah, so the Opeachy Red Army inserts were uh, particularly uh, special that year for one very specific player, if you remember.
0: Yeah, because it included Fedorov in the mix. You know, Sergey Fedorov. Yeah, Sergey Fedorov. And while you ended up seeing Fedorov cards... Here he is in a Russian uniform. You know, so this
1: preceded all of his just, other cards. Yeah, so, like, I mean. so what happened that year was that over the summer, Fedorov defected at the Goodwill Games. And he was, he was with the Red Army team, and then he played in the Goodwill Games. And then he defected, and then he started, you know, they played with the Red Wings that fall. So nobody knew what this was going to happen. So, I mean, as far as the card company was concerned, they put cards of the Central Red Army players as inserts. But here you have this guy who's all of a sudden the early front runner to win the Calder Trophy as Rookie of the Year for 1991, and he's on the Red Wings. And does he have any hockey cards? No. Wait, oh, yes, he does. He's actually in an insert uh, in the Opeachy packs. So all of a sudden, these Opeachy packs were popular. Another thing about Opici that year is they actually came out before the end of the year. Usually Opici would come out in, like, January. But I remember buying them in, like, October, November of 1990. And, I mean, this was before Opici Premier came out and had a Fedorov card, before Pro Set Series 2 came out and had a Fedorov card, before the Score Update set came out and had a Fedorov card. You know, you you had this as, like, the Sergei Fedorov Card that you could collect. And this was at the same time where all of a sudden everybody was thinking about investing in hockey, you know, with score and its Eric Lindros card and pro set with its cards of Peter Nedved and um, Owen Nolan, you know, the draft pick cards. And so all of a sudden everybody's like, oh my God, hockey cards could be an investment. And then here you actually had this guy who was tearing it up and he had a card. And that was just a very novel situation at the time. Yeah.
0: And Looking back on it, too, you know, you still find these just thrown into like quarter boxes and you know well, dime boxes, it's... and you don't see them that often because again, it's that overproduction era thing. Mm-hmm. But I mean, I think that's a this is a very underrated card because yes. if you do find it, it's generally in the set because I see this set come up a lot, and it's usually just wrapped up or in a like a jewel case or something like that where it's all put together. And you don't see them separated because I think people look at it and say, oh, it's 1991. It's probably not worth a damn. And oh, who are these Russian guys? I've never heard of any of them. They'll flip through like the first three or four cards in the set and one, two, three. And well, Kamensky's number four in there, but the first three guys are not household names necessarily.
1: So, what stands out to me as far as those uh, Russian Red Army cards is you had, of course, Fedorov. You also had uh, Vladimir Konstantinov, and then you had Archer's Urbe. And Urbe actually has two cards in the set he has um, a Red Army card, and then he has a card with the uh, Dynamo Riga team. He played for both teams because a lot of times what would happen is when the Central Red Army team would go on tour, sometimes they would pull players from other teams to bolster their own roster. Uh, or conscript as I'd like to say. So they they told yeah. Urbe, "Hey, you're going to play for us on this tour." So he he did tour with Dynamo Riga, but he also did tour with the Central Red Army team. So and then of course, love him or hate him, Victor Tikanoff has a coach card in the 1991 Russian Red Army set and the guy was a dictator and the guy made playing hockey miserable for his players. Oh yeah. But they won a a lot of awards a lot of gold medals a lot of championships and olympic golds and world championship golds and i'm not saying that that makes him a good person or that the ends justifies the means i'm just saying love him or hate him he's a legendary coach and so i think he's it's just interesting to point that out i'm not saying like oh you must have this card in your collection although if you collect like important hockey people he's an important hockey person even though he wasn't really a, a nice hockey person
0: yeah i was just checking while we were talking here about that Fedorov card just to give a little a little more perspective on it mm-hmm. psa's population report they mm-hmm. have a little over 500 of them that have been graded mm-hmm. and 162 10s out of that mix yep so the vast majority of them are nines which is interesting
1: well, and you know, another thing about that particular set, for some reason, the insert cards, a lot of the OPC Red Army Russian insert cards had a little pinhole in them and like a drag mark. So they, they had defects coming out of the packs. And I remember uh, Beckett Hockey saying, if you send them back to OPC, they'll replace them. And I actually sent a bunch of them back to OPC and they did replace them. And then I think like years later, I opened a pack and it had a fetter off and it had that little pinprick in it. I'm like, ah, oh, darn. But I mean, I had like a mint set. I wonder so, if that's I mean,
0: the reasoning behind so many, so many eights and nines, and not as many tens.
1: Well, as as I mean, those. I bet, wouldn't I bet be it ones is. You, it definitely reduces the cards that you could send in because I mean, you might it might be mint and well centered, except for that pinhole, and then you just you're not going to send it to grade. Another thing, though, is if you think again about the collation, if you had to open two boxes of Opichi to build one five hundred and twenty eight card set you would end up with like three red army sets that's why they're so plentiful yeah because you know the the ratio i mean you get 72 packs and 66 you're gonna end up with three of those red army sets that's why like you'd go to a show and you know you'd see somebody just have a stack of like 10 of them you know because they opened a bunch of boxes to build sets and then they have more insert sets than they have actual actual sets
0: well that's the thing even though it's a plentiful set i think this it kind of gets forgotten about just because of what it is and the fact that there's that fedorov card in there i mean here's perfect example you know with the grading card explosion that's out there and so many people jumping jumping into pulling out all their junk wax and trying to make millions off of it you would think this card would get a little more love but it probably gets ignored because if you Pull it up on any list, it's not listed as a rookie card.
1: And it should be. And that is a shame. Yeah. And just a couple other notable rookies in the set. So found in both Tops and OPG, we already mentioned Curtis Joseph, also Mike Madonna, Mike Richter, Alexander McGilney, Jeremy Ronick, and a bunch of like other guys that, you know, have their first card but weren't necessarily rookies. But, I mean, just, like, from an early 90s standpoint, like Curtis Joseph, Mike Madonna, Mike Richter, Alex McGillney, Jeremy Ronick, Sergei Makarov, who won Rookie of the Year the previous season, and then guys like Igor Larionov and a lot of those other Russian players who joined the NHL the previous season. And then, as far as the OPC set, it also has rookie cards of um, Sergei Fedorov and Artur Zerbe, Are in that set, you know, Fedorov, of course, being in the insert and then Urbe being in the insert set as well. And uh, Vladimir Konstantinov also being in the insert set. And then Sergei Nemtchenov, you know, he ended up in the NHL and he's in like the standard set. And then there was another dude named Sergei B. Makarov who has a card. So we got Jeez. Sergei B. Makarov.
0: I know flipping down through this list here that uh, Tim Hunter's listed with a rookie card in the OPG set. <laughs>
1: Yeah, and didn't they play and he play like a million years at that I point? I was going to
0: say, didn't he have 500 games under his belt at that point?
1: Yeah, just nobody bothered to make it. He's been in the league
0: it. for like nine years.
1: Nobody bothered to make a Tim Hunter card yeah. because Here's they a,
0: just. It's funny. It's like it's calling it a rookie card and you flip it over on the back and he's got stats from 81-82 through 89 90. <laughs> Uh. Also,
1: a couple of fun, a couple of fun ones that I'll just throw out here. So, the kind of like rookie, like oh wow, they have a rookie card in this set as well. Sergei Milnikov of the Quebec Nordiques. This is the only set to have a card of him. And then uh, my boy Wayne Van Dorp, who was on the Blackhawks the previous year. He was in that infamous pregame brawl with Basil McRae and the Minnesota North Stars. At the end of uh, 1989, is a couple days after Christmas. And the back of Van Dorp's card, they actually mention that. They say here, Wayne thrives when the going gets tough. An ugly pregame blow up with league penalty leader Basil McRae sparked controversy around the circuit last year. I love all these the euphemisms circuit. circuit, they can't around say the league. circuit.
0: Yeah, like around the circuit, like it's a boxing league.
1: Right, but I love the way they say here, like, ugly pregame blow-up. What do you mean, blow-up? Was Dynamite involved? I mean, you know, and then uh, and then sparked controversy. No, he got suspended and McRae got suspended. And I want to say Shane Shurla got a bunch of – he might have been suspended too for that because it was – like, at the center of it was Van Dorp and McRae, who had a feud going back to Junior, and then Shane Shurla. But, of course, things are always u- ugly between – the Blackhawks and the North Stars so oh. a pregame brawl between the two teams was surprising but if they didn't fight before the game they would have been fighting during the game how
0: long did Jean Dorp last in the league it wasn't very long I know he had like a cup of coffee with the Penguins at one point but
1: so he played like a little bit with the Penguins and the Oilers and um Really, his best season was 89-90 with the Blackhawks. He had 61 games, seven goals, four assists for 11 points, 303 penalty minutes. I'm not going to say that he played a regular shift, but he was in a lot of the games. And Mike Keenan would actually put him out there. I mean, you got a guy who scores seven goals. You score a goal or two goals, you luck into it, it's accidental, you score like five, six, seven goals, you're you're trying. you know what I mean, even if you're not really good, you're 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 you have enough chances and opportunity. The thing about Van Dorp, and I really liked him as a player, and I was really sad when the Blackhawks lost him. And actually, I was really excited that he had a card in the set, and that was one of the reasons why I was buying packs of OPG in 1991, because I really wanted his card. After he played uh, junior and he played in the old Eastern League, he went and he played in Holland. Now, I know, like, the lower league you play in, the better your stats are going to be, but when he played in Holland... He had really good numbers, you know, and that's the thing, too, that you forget about sometimes is like a lot of times like tough guys end up being tough guys because they're big and they want to play in the NHL. And I'm not saying that he wasn't a tough guy in the minors and in juniors and stuff like that, but like when he went and played in Europe, he was an okay player, you know what I mean? And then as you go up. You know, you're playing against better and better competition and then all of a sudden, you know, you go from being like maybe a 30-goal scorer in like a European league to like a two-goal scorer in the NHL, right? But you do what you can right. do to to play. So, yeah, I remember in 1990, there was something called the Chicago Hockey Show and it was uh, sponsored by Pro Set. They were one of the sponsors there. And I remember a dealer, he had like uncut sheets of the 90-91 Opici set. It had not come out yet. And it was framed and he had it hanging on the wall behind him. And I said, What is that? He goes, Oh, that's the OPC set. It's not out yet. I go, How did you get that? He's like, Oh, well, I've been doing business with OPC for years. So they sent me an uncut set of the cards. And I'm looking at this, like, I am like examining this sheet of cards or these sheets of cards, three or four. It had to be four sheets, 528 cards, because I mean, it was just like seeing all the cards at once. And I remember seeing uh, an Elaine Chevrier card, and he's with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And I was like, oh, my God, they're making a card of Chevrier as a Penguin. And I was just so flipping excited. And I keep looking, in, and I see that there's a card of Wayne Van Dorp. And I'm like, oh, my God, this is awesome. Like, And then, you know, of course, neither Chevrier nor Van Dorp were in the top set. They were only in the OPC set, so that gave me more incentive. To want those packs because I wanted those cards of, of those two players. Of course, um, Chevrier appeared in the Pro Set set and it was the same exact photo on his card. But kind of fun that uh, a player that I had liked so much, it's the only card he had, uh, Wayne Van Dorp.
0: How many hockey hobby podcasts will you listen to where you heard this much talk about Elaine Chevrier and Wayne Van Dorp?
1: Oh, I haven't even started about Chevrier, but I'm gonna go with zero. Zero percent of them. (laughs) Yeah.
0: More Van Dorp than you care to imagine.
1: So he ended up getting taken in the waiver draft and he went to Quebec. They wanted him to protect Joe Sackick. He had a shoulder injury, and so the Blackhawks
0: never even played, did he?
1: He did. But the thing is is that he had a shoulder injury, so they took him off the protected list. They used to have this thing called the waiver draft where you could protect 18 skaters and two goalies. And the idea was to try to keep teams from hoarding talent. Like, well, we're going to have all 30 of these guys on our team, but we're not going to play, you know, six or seven of them because we just don't want you to have them. We don't want you to have this player, but we're not going to use them either. So the idea was to, like, let some of those bubble players go to a team where they would play. The problem is is that it was always the same guys. A lot of times it was like third-string goalies, it was enforcers, It was guys that, like, maybe would have benefited from sticking around with their original club, but they would just bounce from team to team. So Van Dorp ends up with the Nordiques. I end up with this Van Dorp card, and I can't get it signed at the skate with the Hawks because he's no longer on the team. So I was, like, bummed about that. And then he was in Quebec. I never wrote to any players in Canada because I didn't have any return postage because I didn't know how to get Canadian stamps back in 1990.
0: You still can't.
1: no you really can't you need to have a friend send them to you and that's what i ended up doing in the internet age but before then no yeah it was kind of sucky like i did actually send a card to chevrier he went to the red wings and i I wrote to him right away and then i got my cards back like four years later because he had bounced around the league and he went back to the minors and stuff so he, he eventually answered all his fan mail but it just took a long time yeah, Yeah, and then a couple other fun little tidbits that I'll just throw out here. The first three cards in the set are really cool. They are tribute cards to Wayne Gretzky becoming the all-time leading scorer. One card pictures him as an Indianapolis Racers player. One card pictures him as a Edmonton Oilers player. One card pictures him as an L.A. Kings player. And, and they have, like, a fake newspaper behind them with, like, a headline. What's interesting about the OPC versions of those cards is that there's so much text on the back they didn't even bother translating them into french they're just english only on the card back i mean that is just a little idiosyncrasy from the uh the way Opeachy did things like even like with all the other cards everything's bilingual but not with these cards so that's one little interesting tidbit another little interesting tidbit uh and this is just something that annoyed me as a kid and Ninety percent of the people who bought these cards would have overlooked this uh, that year. But one thing that bothered me was that for some reason, the card of James Patrick, they used the wrong colored border around it. They used an Islanders uh, orange border instead of like a blue Rangers border around his card. I just was like. Come on, there's no orange in the in the. Uh... Why
0: would they even do that? That's weird looking.
1: I don't know. Yeah, it's it is weird looking, you know. But they didn't like totally make it look like the Islanders because the Islanders used um, on their cards they used orange and white, and the Rangers used blue and yellow, and here they used orange and yellow. So yeah, it just looks dumb. It just a stupid. It's almost little...
0: the Flyers color.
1: Oh See yeah, ever actually...
0: on the Flyers
1: that's actually um you're right you know what that is the flyers border yeah because the flyers no he never played on the flyers but yeah the flyers they put the name against yellow and then an orange border around it but then it had like a red inner border from like the rangers so it's like really messed up i i don't know it's just like they said hey let's just make one card look really different for some reason so i found that annoying
0: that must have been the where where's waldo card
1: I guess. I don't know. Like, just when you find that one card that just doesn't fit in with the other ones for whatever design reason, you know, because I mean, they were like, you know, like, they were trying to use like team colors for the borders. And they're kind of interesting. I mean, they have like a little hockey stick at the top. And like the player's head is cut out. So, like, their head is in front of the stick. It either looks really good or really stupid. I don't know what your opinion is. But it's something. It's it's design. Whether it's good design or bad design. They did something a little different than just four borders. You know what I mean? Like
0: Yeah, this is still a time frame where a lot of the designers utilized a lot of the space for their design rather than for the photo.
1: Right. Um, I mean, I mean was,
0: even looking at the original upper deck hockey set, you know, they, mm-hmm. there was a lot of border. Mm -hmm. compared to today where it's just all photo and barely any border so yeah i like the interaction of the photos with the design you know Mm -hmm. that hockey stick laying across the top so when you have the overlap or or uh it's cut over under Mm -hmm. i like that i wish they would have taken that further and done it maybe on the bottom too but i guess with the nameplate across the bottom there wasn't any room to do that
1: yeah that would have been kind of cool
0: that was that a little too been... innovative for 1990,
1: I guess. You know, another thing, too, is, like, so the OPC cards, because they came out a little bit later than the Topps cards, they have, like, the traded text. So, like, with, like, Chris Chelios's card, um, you right. know, it says, now no, with Blackhawks. Yeah. Yeah. Coincidentally, Chelios and and Savard, Dennis Savard, their two cards are one after the other, cards number 28 and 29. So the Opeche cards... You know, with Savard, now with Canadians, and with uh, Chelios now with Blackhawks. However, on the Tiffany-Tops version, they do not have that traded text. Oh, yeah, we should talk about the Tiffany version of the Top set.
0: They don't have the text on the Tiffany version?
1: Yeah, there's no now with Montreal or now with Chicago. So the Tiffany version, and we talked about this in our uh, episode about Bowman, but what Tops did was they made a premium version of their tops set that was printed on high-quality cardstock and had high-gloss fronts. So they're basically printed on OPG cardstock. The card backs look like OPG cards, only they're not bilingual. They're only in one language. But if you kind of hold them and feel them, it's the same cardstock. It's OPG card cardstock. Tops would do this a lot. They did this with Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles. They did like a premium set. They did this with like Batman trading cards. They do like a premium box set that was on like high quality cardstock. It was really just OPG card cardstock. So the backs were brighter and then the fronts were glossier. So the front of these Tiffany cards, which came in a box set, And there were 3,000 of these box sets. The box is red that it comes in. And it says, like, Premium Edition. And I guess they were sold at, like, Tiffany and Company. They were called Premium Edition, but just in, like, collecting circles. Everybody refers to them as the Tiffany version. And I have a really hard time paying a lot of money for any of the Tiffany premium cards. Because even though, yes, they were only printed in 3,000 of them. It's just basically like an Opichi card. I have the top set in a box. I have the Opichi set in pages because it has more cards and it looks nicer. Um, and then I have like a few of the Tiffany versions of just some of my favorite players. And you know what? The fronts are glossier, and I guess that's nice. But I don't really like run my fingertips across my trading cards just to feel the gloss. You know, I put it in a nine pocket page, and that kind of like makes the card look glossier anyway. So I, I don't know. I guess in 1990, maybe it was like, ooh, this card doesn't have a piece of gum stuck to the back of it. It's premium, right? Yeah. So the top set, the tops Tiffany set is printed on OPC stock, but it doesn't have any of the little updates from like the OPC, like now with whatever team on the front.
0: Yeah. Cause it, it, I mean, it's essentially just the same printing as the regular, the regular top set. Didn't yeah. the boxes though, like if you bought the full boxes of these, or not that you would have bought them, but if you could find them still sealed, um, weren't these, didn't these say something like on them, like printed in Ireland or something yes. like that? Yeah. Cause I know the regular tops, you know, the stamp on the side said, uh, Duria, Pennsylvania. Mm-hmm. But I thought the Tiffany ones were like said printed in Ireland or something.
1: I believe so. I know like the premium Ninja Turtles card sets that I bought on eBay a couple years ago, just because I was feeling nostalgic for Ninja Turtles. They said on the box printed in Ireland.
0: Yeah. I thought that was like the thing about the Tiffany sets is they were, you know, they were truly premium because they weren't from the United States. They were imported in small quantities from Ireland.
1: Just wanted to throw that out there. Oh, and then, of course, the top set was sold boxed, and the Tiffany set was also sold boxed. And the boxed Tiffany set also had premium versions of the glossy scoring leader cards. Now, they look the same, but the gloss is definitely stronger on the the Tiffany one. And then on the back, the card is like a different color. It's more of a green than a blue. And that's, again, because they were printing it on, like, a brighter cardstock. But I can't really tell too much of a difference between the two. I mean, I know that they're different because I have, you know, I know which one is which. And then, like I said, the Tiffany one is a little bit more green on the back. But I guess that what I'm saying is that other than if you just say, oh, this is r- the rare version and I want the rare version, hey, that's great. God bless. Go for it, right? Like, And let me just throw out, a, a, a for instance, here for you, a Wayne Gretzky card. Card number 120 from the Tiffany version is graded PSA 10. It sold at an eBay auction for $695 Canadian, which is $541 U.S. So a Tiffany version of the Gretzky card that was graded PSA 10. No reason to believe why they shouldn't be all graded PSA 10 because they came right from a box. They all tend to be mint and well-centered with sharp corners because That was the whole idea of the premium set was that it it wasn't being cut apart with like a dull razor blade and then, you know, thrown with like gum on top of it and then sealed with like all that wax that they would use to like seal the pack and it would always ruin one of the cards. Yeah,
0: they weren't using a hacksaw to cut through it.
1: So there is some value in the Tiffany versions and like you know, the common players, you might, you know, a couple bucks each. And then the guys like the Gretzkys and Lemieux, you know, you're looking at like $10 or $20, depending on who's selling it, if it's graded or not graded. If it's graded, it's going to go for more. You know, another thing about Tops that year is that I remember that uh, I got really fed up. I bought so much Tops in Bowman that year. I got really fed up with Tops, uh, with, with every every pack having one card that got ruined by wax. So I remember I boxed them up and I sent them back to Tops and with the letter and I just said, "Look, I'm buying these cards and one out of every 14 cards is ruined by wax. That sucks." They sent me back unopened packs and for to replace my Tops cards, they sent me back the cello packs which were not sealed with wax on the wrapper and I thought that was a nice touch.
0: That was also the last time they did anything for customer service. So, really? Yeah, so you lucked out. Pretty they have, much. They haven't done a thing for customer service since, so.
1: <laughs> no. Well, I'm still waiting to hear back. Just, just ask my Twitter, money.
0: you'll find that out.
1: Yeah. By the way, so this was the last year that Tops used the, cart, the lousy card stock. Because the next year for 9192, they were using the OPG card stock, which is a nice bright white card stock. Oh, this was the last year they did the box bottom cards. We should talk about those too. Yes. So yeah. normally they would do the they would do the playoff scoring leaders as the box bottom cards. They did something different this year where they did like leading scores, leading defenseman scores, top goalies, and rookie leaders, and they did one for each division, so you had four divisions, you had four different categories you had a total of sixteen cards so that's what they did with the box bottom cards that year they didn't They didn't mess around with playoff scoring leaders that year
0: yeah and they're still typical box bottom, so they have the four panel um, on the bottom. I think they're um, – are they numbered or are they lettered? They're lettered. They're right? lettered. Yeah, they're lettered. You know, you find these two different ways. You find people that either kept the box whole or you find the full panels cut out or you find them trimmed up in their individual cards. I mean, I think they're collectible in whatever – whichever way you want to slice them. Um, me – Personally, I like them as a full panel just because I like the way they're displayed. And you, it's kind of a talking point to be like, oh, what is this panel thing? Oh, it's a bottom of a box. And, you, you know, there's a little more to it than that. Mm-hmm. So I think most of the box bottom cards that I have are full panels. Um, now, if it was like individual players and stuff or my team, I would collect the individual cards as well. But for the most part, I would go after the box bottoms as they were. But one interesting thing about this and uh, they advertised the configuration and the checklist per se for these on the side of the box. And they said, collect all of your box bottom panels and they're going to be like this. Set one is these, set two is these, set three is these. Well, none of them, when they actually printed them, they didn't match what the checklist said. All the players are there but they're scrambled and they're not in the order that they say. So whereas they're listed in, I believe, division order on the checklist, Mm -hmm. they're broken out one of each from each division.
1: So like a a leading defenseman from the Norris division, a leading goalie from the Smite division, a leading scorer from the Adams division, and a leading rookie from the uh, Patrick division or or something like that. Like they tried to make it so that, yeah, because originally they were going to put all the Smite division guys together and all the Norris division guys together and all the, um, you know, which would have been kind of cool, but I guess it doesn't really matter. I mean, I think the idea is, is they were trying to make it so that you'd want all of them, because if you were in, say, Pittsburgh and you got the panel that had uh, Lemieux, Mario Lemieux and Paul Coffey, you'd be like, all right, I'm done.
0: Right. In, I, I in the case of this, you got Coffey split up, so Lemieux on a different... Uh, I think Coffee is C and Lemieux is G. Lemieux like always G when he's on the bottom of a box. It seems like
1: Coffee is C and Lemieux is G. Is that right? Let's see here. Patrick Division leading defenseman Paul Coffee is actually card C. Yeah. And card G Patrick Division leading scores yeah Mario Lemieux card G. Yeah,
0: because C for Coffee and G for God. So that's the God. difference. See, I, I always think box bottoms are underrated. I really do. They are. I, don't think, I don't think that many people go after them because they're, A, they got thrown away. I mean, let's just face it. A lot of people threw those away because it's garbage. It's an empty box. What are you going to do with an empty box? You're going to throw it away. So you did. The people that did keep them, these are a pain to keep because you think back then, they didn't really have all of the different page protectors and things like that that they do now to put things in. They didn't have the top loaders that fit these perfectly like a five by what are they five by six five by seven they didn't have that kind of stuff back then so it's only been in more modern era that they've come out with that kind of stuff so you know if you were going to store these somewhere and and keep them nice you had to put them in like a full sheet page protector or something of that nature and who has that what kid has that none of them so what's the next best thing to do all right let's cut them up So what do you do? You grab a pair of scissors and you start cutting along the dotted lines. Well, they're not going to be straight. It's going to be all hacked up and everything else. So box bottoms fascinate me because they're very condition sensitive. Because think about it, the other thing, they're on the bottom of the box, right? Mm -hmm. So you're shipping these and you're packaging these and you're sending these to different places and you're displaying them on the shelf and throwing them on a table and doing everything else you're setting the box down well what's it sitting on it's sitting on the bottom so the pictures get all scraped up and hacked up and everything else so finding these in good condition it's rough you know a you got to have somebody that cut them nicely and cut them perfectly and b you got to have one that's in a box that wasn't beat the heck up so that's why i think box bottoms get a they they get a bad rap i think sometimes people kind of ignore them as a In toy
1: collecting, we would refer to that as shelf wear, meaning like there's wear on the bottom of the box that's consistent with the, the the item being put on a shelf, maybe pulled forward on the shelf or pushed back onto the shelf, and some abrasion from that. So you you had shelf wear. You also had to contend with sometimes. They'd get bent up, like, you know, like the the corner of the box would get smashed in. Oh, yeah. Look
0: at every one of, like, the starting lineups I own that are still in the box. All Mm -hmm. the corners are kind of wonky from storing them and trying to keep them in places. And not to mention they were hung on peg hooks when they were in the retail stores. So
1: as far as cutting them apart, I mean, thinking back to, like, when I got a box of 1985 top football cards. Actually, I didn't get the whole box. I bought a couple of packs and the empty box. And I asked the cashier at Walgreens if I could have the empty box because I was buying the last four packs or whatever. She said, sure. And I really wanted the Walter Payton card that was on the bottom of the box. I cut them apart with scissors. I know there was Payton and Joe Montana. I don't know who the other two were. I don't even know if I have the other two. But yes, I did cut them apart with scissors. I was 10. I didn't do a great job at it. But You know at the time i was just so happy to have this walter payton card that was a walter payton card and then i remember in like 89 90 when i bought a full box of tops i don't remember if i cut those cards apart or if i kept them on the back of the panel but i do know that that year that's when i learned about um up until that point i didn't know what an exacto knife was I, I didn't know. I knew what scissors were. And then I was in an art class and our teacher was having us use a ruler and an exacto knife to cut up magazine pages to make collages. And I'm like, "Whoa! I can use this ruler and this really sharp blade to cut these cards apart. And I could do a really nice job of it. Cause by then I was like 14, 15 and you have a little bit finer motor skills, but well, I, some did us keep, do. I did keep some of them uh, intact, but Honestly, Tim, I don't remember how I did that. I think I would have probably did like what you said, like use an eight and a half by 11 page. And I probably put a magazine board and then I probably slid one or two in there. Cause that's what I would do with like the box tops is I would take a magazine page. I'd slide in a magazine board and then I would cut the box front and I'd slide that down. And then that would be like the cover page for my set when I was like putting it in an album. And so, yeah, but you're, you're absolutely right. There was no, now, I mean, now you would just, you'd cut it carefully apart and you'd put that in a top loader or in a page and you'd have a five by seven page or a five by seven top loader. And back in the nineties, you didn't have that. And while we do say um, they're overlooked, I mean, you think about how much like the 8586 Mario Lemieux box bottom card with the yellow borders goes for. And how bad I want one of those. And
0: I. Well, think about what they go for now versus what they went for even as early as 10 years ago.
1: They right. were still
0: ignored. Only right. only with the resurgence and everything in the hobby have they kind of blown back up. And that's the thing. It's criminally underrated these things. I, I put them on the same level as like the cards from like the 50s and 60s in any set. Card number one and whatever the last card was in the set. Because they all got rubber banded. And those cards are the ones that get damaged. The box bottoms get damaged a lot. So finding them. And look. People that know me. Or have seen stuff that I've put out there into the world. They've probably seen pictures or video. In my, as I call it, the card garage. Even though it's a closet. My wall is covered with box bottoms. Because I think they're cool. And I like, I like to look at them. Because, I mean, you got four cards. One card is four cards, so it's four for the price of one. I mean, how can you beat that?
1: Here, I'm gonna I'm gonna blow your mind with this a little. This little bit of fortune cookie uh, advice that I'm gonna say here. If you think about it, box bottom cards are the short prints of the '80s. Because you think Six. about it, how many Young Guns do you get in a box of Upper Deck hockey? Six. How many box bottom cards do you get in a box of 89 tops? Four. Right. And there's so also that's...
0: more there's also more packs and there are more cards. So yeah. the percentage is even less.
1: So I mean looking that's at That's like a good a, point. Well, here, I'm gonna let's start look... calling
0: them that. If I sell any on eBay, I'm putting that in my listing.
1: Oh, well, you also have to put eBay one of one.
0: And I'm also gonna put the little up chart thing and some some uh tops team leader fire emojis and what else ebay one of one i'll put that in there too
1: i'm gonna just put the steam logo on mine
0: it'll sell for sure
1: it'll sell for sure but yeah i mean looking let at me like, know
0: when the, you put that up i'll bid a couple times for you
1: do that yeah so <laughs> tops if you got 504 cards in a box and then you had four for box bottoms so that means that like you get one box bottom for every 126 cards at that ratio yeah that's that's some long odds right there that's it's saying if the box bottoms were mixed in unfortunately though they made so many of these cards so damn many tops cards i mean i know now that like everybody's like oh junk wax is valuable and stuff but I'd go to shows, and you know, you'd still see people trying to get rid of boxes of ninety ninety one tops for like five dollars. And like, I'd look at that, and I'd go, "Oh God, why does it have to be ninety ninety one tops? At least if it was ninety ninety one peachy, I'd have a chance of getting Sergey Milnikov or Wayne Van Dorp or I guess Sergey Fedorov, But <laughs> ninety ninety one tops, it's like uh, the gum is better yeah. than peachy gum, and
0: the quantity is still the same, but those $5 boxes are now $15. Yeah, and,
1: but they're still just... But a
0: the t- quantity is still the one same. Of yeah, there is a lot out there. I mean, they don't call it the junk wax era or the overproduction era for nothing. Mm. And we'll, we'll get way more into that when we start talking about Pro Set, too, I'm sure.
1: Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, last little factoid I'll throw out about my boy Wayne Van Dorp.
0: Back to Van Dorp. See... More Van Dorp than you can handle. Hey, he only
1: appears in this one set.
0: So we're giving him his due?
1: He actually appears on the side of the factory box. Or on the back panel of the factory box, they have like a row of cards. And he's one of the cards, which is just funny that like, you know. Like on the front of the box, they show Marc Messier and some random Dynamo Riga player right? And then like on the back panel of the factory set, they just pulled like the most random guys. You think like if you were trying to sell like a factory set of like um, Opeachy, you would put Gretzky, Lemieux, Iserman, Hall, Roenick, Wah, Bork, Coffee, right? Like those would be like the guys that you would use to like promote the thing that you're selling, right?
0: I mean, it certainly doesn't hurt to yes. put your superstars on there for, uh, you know, to get people to, to bite. I think that Russian player that you can't make out is Nikolai Farianov.
1: Oh, okay. If I'm not mistaken. So it looks here, they put Ken Baumgartner, Wayne Van Dorp, Tim Hunter, Gord Kluzak, Alan Peterson, two Bruins in a Rope, that's poor form, Joe Murphy, Sergei B. Makarov, Tim Waters, Rich Sutter... Jeff Parker and Joel Quenville. Okay. That has wow. got to be the most random eclectic grouping of hockey players I would say ever. I mean, let me read that again. Okay. Ken Baumgartner, Wayne Van Dorp, Tim Hunter, Gord Kluzak, Alan Peterson, Joe Murphy, Sergey B. Makarov, Tim Waters, Rich Sutter, Jeff Parker, Joel Quenville.
0: That's even funnier, considering the Tim Hunter card is a rookie card. And here's all these vets that are on the back. These, like, grizzled veterans. (laughs) And he's one of the grizzled veterans, yet his card is a rookie card.
1: (laughs) Right. I mean, so, I mean, if you just look at, like, Ken Baumgardner, Wayne Van Dorp, Tim Hunter, and Tim Waters, I mean, what's the penalty minute total between those four players alone, right? Uh,
0: It's got to be a lot. I'm, I'm wondering, like... As you're naming those names, I'm wondering if you went up career points for all of those guys, if they would even be a quarter of, like, Gretzky. <laughs> yeah.
1: No. I, so I just, I look at that and I go, what kid looked at this box and said, yay, Rich Sutter's in this set. I'm going to buy it, right?
0: You're like, like, holy cow, there's a Coach Q card? I'm getting it. Oh, wait, he wasn't a coach then. He
1: wasn't a coach. <laughs> I mean, they, they put Mark Messier on the top of the box, which made sense because, you know, the Oilers won the, the stanley cup the previous year so i, I get it you know that's smart it, it's just funny like just who they decided to put on the the box to promote the set was just or i don't say promote the set but you know like with packaging well,
0: that's exactly what it is it's advertising yeah it's, it's, it's just trying packaging. to get you to want to buy it
1: right i mean would i have bought that in 1990 yeah because i was going to buy it anyway but now like on the flip side like when I was maybe a little younger and a little more impressionable, if I saw, like, football cards and they had, like, Walter Payton, I would have bought it because that was a player I looked up to, right? Or the basketball that has Michael Jordan, oh, my God, I'm going to buy it, right? Like, so it's just it's it's just funny how they just didn't bother to, other than Mark Messier, they didn't put any stars on that box. Yeah,
0: I mean, at least they could have put, like, Rod Buskis on there or something.
1: Yeah, he actually also has a rookie card in this set, in the OPC version of the set.
0: Yeah, which is... Also hilarious because he's been on the he was on the Penguins from like eighty two to nineteen ninety 1990. I think he played for the Canucks for a little bit in there but he went back to the Penguins at some point.
1: Yeah, that is kind of funny. I know like Dave Manson is card number I want to see he's like card number three ninety seven and it's like oh Dave you were so close to being in the uh, three ninety seven you were so close to being in the top set and you weren't. I always felt bad for the guys who played on American teams who had Opeechee cards, because it's like your own fans couldn't get your cards. Right. And then, like, the people in Canada could get your card, but you weren't necessarily interacting with those people. Like, I remember one year at a Blackhawks signing, somebody had Opeechee cards. And I'm like, oh, my God, how do you have... I don't have that card. How do you have that card? I have that whole set. And they showed me the back of the card. They're like, oh, no, this is the OPG version of 84-85. I'm like, "What? I don't have that Troy Murray card. You know what I mean? Like, I don't have that Dave Manson card or whatever. As far as, I guess we should just talk about the, just a little bit about the strengths of the set, because I know we kind of picked apart everything we didn't like about it and everything that was kind of unique or funny. Tops gets a lot of points, and so does OPG, for get, doing the full career stats. Always was a fan of that. Love the fact that they did that. Love the fact that they gave their last amateur club and how they were acquired, if they were drafted or if it was a trade or whatever, their birth place and their home, you know. So like Brett Hall, according to this card, even though he was born in Belleville, Ontario, But his home was Duluth, Minnesota. Well, because his last amateur club was the University of Minnesota at Duluth, right? He was acquired trade with Calgary. Or like looking at Tim Shevelday, he's from Melville, Saskatchewan, and uh, his home is the same, you know? And he was acquired in the fourth round of the 1986 draft, and his last team was the Saskatoon Blades. Well, I guess that's why he, he lives there. So I, I do like the fact that they have the full stats, even for somebody like Gretzky, who has a lot of stats. You know, you look at, like, Upper Deck, they just give up after five years. It's five years, the last five years, on their total. I will say that I like the variety of photos, even though on the tops cards, they're really dark. I love this card of, like, Tim Shevelday. He's got just a really cool helmet, and I love that we see that. I love this card of Brett Hall smiling or laughing or something. You don't see enough cards like this. You see good action shots on today's trading cards but you don't see something fun like this i mean even though this gretzky card might be considered uh this Wayne gretzky card might be considered boring it's still a nice shot he's got his helmet off
0: yeah but that card that gretzky card i always thought the look on his face he looked like totally dejected about something like that's when he found out that santo wasn't real like that's the look on his face
1: yeah i mean and a lot of the, a lot of the pictures are just kind of boring like Warm up shots, or uh, I mean, uh, this one of uh, of Jimmy Waite, he looks like he's trying to stop a Flyers player because there's a Flyers player in the uh, in the photo. But I mean, a lot of them are you know, the warm up shots or the um, pregame skate or or whatever. I mean, here's one of John Van Beesbrook, it looks like he's coming onto the ice and he's not playing that day because he doesn't have his helmet on. So it's a good picture because he's skating and he doesn't have his mask on. So you see what he looks like. And he's not sitting on the bench. He's doing something. It's kind of cool. Tops did not do the best job with the photos that they picked. And and we know this because you just need to look at the upper deck photos or the OPG premiere photos or even the score photos from that year. And you see like how they're like, miles better than whatever tops used and to a lesser extent Opeachy because those last hundred and twenty-eight cards in the Opeachy set aren't necessarily special. They're just more cards, you know, but I mean looking at a lot of them, it's the same mix of like moderate action where yeah. they're in warm-up, you know, or the guy's sitting on the bench, or it's a stoppage of play. And then a lot of the pictures are taken in New Jersey.
0: Yeah. Yeah, if you just look at the team leader cards, I think seven or eight of them feature New Jersey. Not the team leader, the team checklist cards. Yes, seven or, seven or eight of them all feature New Jersey, and the one common denominator in all of them is they all have the devils in their whites, and that was back when that was home. So whoever was taking the photos was basically hanging out in, hanging out in New Jersey and snapping all the shots when everybody came to town.
1: You know, one other thing I'll just throw out there about OPG is that they had mail-away offers for cardboard card lockers, a card belt pack, or an NHL pen with an NHL team on. on yeah, it. Yeah, I've never so, seen
0: any of those.
1: I've seen a card locker once at a show. I don't think really? I, I think they wanted too much for it. I don't remember, but
0: yeah, yeah. I've never seen those. I've seen the tops pages once or twice, mm-hmm. but I've never seen the OPG stuff. When you say the
1: tops pages, you mean the offer or the actual pages that the page, the actual
0: pages themselves that they would send? Did they have the
1: tops logo on them or something? They did on the side. I want to say I ordered some of those in the late 80s. Weren't they didn't they have the openings on the side instead of on the top?
0: Yes, and that's why I thought they were the dumbest things ever because I had a friend that sent in his wrappers and got them, and they weren't very good weight pages, Mm -hmm. and they just I don't know. They opened from the side; and it was weird.
1: Yeah, I was before. Yeah, I mean,
0: you're talking 1990, so yeah. Right. When I said before, there weren't things to hold your box bottom, sure, but there were normal nine-pocket pages. There were penny sleeves. There were top loaders. All of that still existed, but it wasn't like it is now, where you have a few companies making the higher quality stuff. You know, there were tons of companies making all of this stuff to try to compete with the demand. So, I mean, you could go to any store and buy nine pocket pages for your trading cards. And they were all sorts of gauges of plastic, and some of them were super thin, some of them were super thick. They ran the gambit. And, you know, you you put a binder together, just hodgepodge of different pages and stuff. But, you know, I didn't really care what I had back then, but I was not using a side loader. <laughs> That's for sure. Yeah,
1: because as soon as you turn the page, the cards would slide out.
0: Yeah, they... I think they open to the inside, if I'm not mistaken.
1: Yeah, but still, they would, you know, you pick up the page to turn it. And especially if you put like two cards in the same pocket and then maybe you went back later and only had one. Like, I know I did that. Like, I would do them. I would just put two in the same pocket and then not realizing that that would stretch out the pocket. And then I would put like one card in that pocket because be like, well, I hate having to take one card out to look at the back. Then the card would slide out.
0: Well, it's kind of like today with, like, the pockets that I use now. I, I get the, the Ultra Pro Platinums are pretty much all I use. Mm-hmm. I mean, I do have some other things. I got some BCWs that I've had, which they're fine. But I'd rather use the Ultra Pro Platinums because if I want to put insert cards in a binder, I can keep them in the penny sleeve and stick them in the binder and have no problem. Mm-hmm. And if I take them out and I decide to use the page for something else and put something in there without it, it's not stretched out to the point where the card won't go in it, right? And you know, yeah, with with some of the flimsier plastic, especially stuff back then, mm-hmm. is I still have some pages from back then, various brands, in like a weird binder of pages that I don't use anymore. That's what the binders called, and I don't if know why don't I keep use... it. I yeah, I was going to say throw it away, but I keep it and it's up on shelf. It's ba- It's like the the extreme emergency backup. <laughs> So if I absolutely have to have something in there and I'm out of pages, I will use that as a temporary fix. But that is it.
1: So what do you think of these sets today? Do you have either do you have either the tops or the OPG set? Yeah,
0: I've got a, I've got both of them. Do I have factory a... sets for both of them. They are not in pages now. Okay. So I keep those in a box. Anything prior, anything think... post 1990, I'm very selective about what goes in pages anything prior to 1990, those are in binders.
1: So back in the day, I did have the top set in pages because it was a set that I was putting together. And as I was putting it together, I was putting it in pages, you know, because I kind of liked doing that as a kid, you know, and it was fun to like fill in, you know, the page. Like I like doing that as an adult also, depending if it's a vintage set. I put it in pages and I'll like leave an empty pocket. And then it's such a big deal when I get a few cards that I can just put into the pocket. But anything newer, I don't really like to waste. Like you said, like the space, like if I'm I'm building like seventy-one, seventy-two, Opichi, right? So I have those in nine pocket pages and I'll add those in as I get them. But like, say, like the top sets that I have from the early 2000s, I have those in uh, boxes, right? So as a kid, I put the top set in pages. And then I think when I got the Opeachy set, I ended up taking the top set out of the pages because it seemed redundant to have both of them in pages because they're pretty much the same set, only the Opeechee set is nicer to look at because the backs are brighter and easier to read. The photos on the front are brighter and nicer to look at. And there's 128 more cards. So basically what I did was i have like this binder that's a mashup it's like the Opichi set and then like the Opichi box bottoms and then like the russian red army inserts and then the tops inserts and then the tops box bottoms and then wrappers so it's it's kind of like a mashup of both of those but i really don't need the same 396 cards also taking up pages on my shelf
0: yeah like i said i anything 90 forward i don't know that i ever really did put it in binders from a set standpoint
1: even back in the day
0: yeah i can't even think of back in the day because pretty much back then i've just used boxes and -hmm. i would put sets individually in boxes so if it was a smaller set i'd have the set in the box and if it was a big box i'd have all my doubles and stuff in there as well with like something in between to separate them i hardly have anything from the 90s in a binder Hardly anything. Maybe a few things here and there, but it's more premium stuff. Like I've got some Leaf sets and some FLIR metal and Metal Universe and like the 97 totally certified that's mm-hmm. in a binder. You know, stuff like that. But 90, 91, 92, 93, 94, I don't really have anything binder. It's all in a box or some type of mass storage
1: as far as ninety ninety one sets go, I'm really struggling with telling people that they should own these sets. I mean, you should buy what you like, as as you say, Tim, as we all say. But like I guess if you wanted to have like a full run of Topps hockey sets, you wouldn't need to have this set. Or if you wanted to have a full run of Opeachy sets, you'd want to have the Opeachy set. But otherwise
0: Or if you're collecting by the year, because honestly there's only if you don't count, seven like, the, French, the French's or the Canadian versions of score and upper deck, I mean, there's right. only seven sets in 1990, major sets.
1: Right, right, right. So,
0: you know, seven sets, it's not a lot to go after. And you've got rookie cards of a lot of Hall of Famers in these sets. So, yeah, where this one isn't, isn't like, oh, you got to have this because there's so much value here, it's still better than Pullman. You got to give it that.
1: Well, the Opeechee is better than Bowman. I have my Bowman set in pages. I don't have my top set in pages. And I have my Opeechee, 991 Opeechee set in pages, not the 991 top set and then the 991 Bowman I have in pages because it's unique enough. And I do look at it. I, I think if you're going to buy one, you should just get the OPC set because it's just a nicer looking set. And it has more cards. And if you're going to do like a full run of OPC sets, then it's one that you would need. Otherwise, you know, I guess it's just really up to you. I mean, if you're going to buy a ninety ninety one set, there's better ones that, that are out there.
0: Oh, of course. But I think we would agree on that. The o- OPC trumps tops when it comes to the comparing the two. So if you went with one over the other, definitely go with that. Make sure you get the Soviet cards and uh, the Central Red Army set with the OPG and then just pick up a tops team leader set. And then you, there you go. You pretty yeah. much got it all covered.
1: Yeah. Got it all covered. So anything else before we uh, wrap it up and uh, seal it with wax?
0: No, I think that's it. I mean, if you're looking for something cheap and nostalgic with uh, a lot of hall of famers and, you know, quite a bit of rookies, by all means, grab one of these. Cause you're not going to spend too much on them. If you don't have it already, definitely don't build one. That's for sure. Buy buy one full. That would be the moral of this story. But again, like you said, and my motto, collect what you want.
1: Sage words to live by. So thank you for listening to the Puck Junk Hockey Podcast. Be sure to like and subscribe and tell your friends. And until next time, collect what you like.
0: For more hockey goodness, follow us on Twitter at Puck Junk.